Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Take your Bible and go where? First Corinthians, good. I want to invite you to turn there. Chapter 12 is where we'll be today. I have had some people ask me, hey, are we going to do Second Corinthians after this? The answer is no, all right? So we'll, we'll get a break from, uh, from Corinthians when we finish up. But uh, I want to invite you to turn there as we continue this journey through, uh, through this important book. And uh, man, there have been some great takeaways uh, for me personally in my personal life. I hope there has been for you. And I believe today can be a strong encouragement. I hope you're having a good fall break. Uh, for those of you that uh, fall break doesn't apply to you, I'm sorry. I hope you had a good week, right? Uh, but for our teachers, educators, administrators, students, uh, students, we had a good fall break. It's been good? Ish? Kind of? Ready for school tomorrow? No, no. They were unified in that. I can tell you that. Well, we, uh, we, I got to go on a trip with my oldest uh, this week. And uh, in fact, we headed out right after church last Sunday and we were gone and got back yesterday. And uh, it's always great to do a trip like that with one of your children. The problem is you have some other kids that would love to be a part of the trip as well, right? And, uh, and we had, in fact, yesterday, or sorry, last Sunday, had uh, the littlest one, little, uh, our little girl, uh, she came in with tears in her eyes in the worship center last Sunday because daddy was leaving. And uh, if, if you got a kid you know or grandkid, right, that's a hard moment. And so what do you do in that moment? You say, I'll bring you something back, Right. And it's amazing how that countenance changes, right? Like, what? You will? When are you coming back, right? Not because I want to see you again. It's I want the gift, right? And so, uh, and so Gavin and I, as we were away this week, we were thinking strategically about what are we going to get? What are we going to get? What are we going to get? And, you know, there's always that dilemma. There's part of you that thinks, I'm just going to get everyone the same thing, right? There's wisdom in that, isn't there? Yeah. But then it's like, or we can get something that's more personalized to each one of them. The problem is, is that when you get something that's more personalized to each one of them, you tend to get the wrong thing for the wrong one because they want everyone else's, right? And so it can be a challenge, right? But when you give that gift to someone, right, whether it's all the same thing or whether it's something that's more individualized, you give it with a purpose. You give it with a meaning. You want it to bring joy to that person, but at times you give gifts, not just for them to say, wow, and to feel appreciated, but you give it for something that's ongoing and lasting. And today we're going to see that when we look at God's word, we see that if you are a believer in Christ today, that God has given you a gift, not just for you to admire and not just for you to envy from other people, but for you to realize that he has given you that gift with meaning and purpose behind it. Today we're going to dig into what Paul is going to really begin to lay the foundation here for dealing with the issue of spiritual gifts in our lives. We look at the New Testament, I believe that it shows us, teaches us, that for those that are in Christ, that the Spirit of God uniquely gifts every believer for the impact of his kingdom, primarily as we're going to see for the good, for the common good, the edification of the church. And so I want to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word and we dig in to these gifts that God has given the church, these diverse gifts. We're going to begin in verse 1. We'll go down through verse 11. The Apostle Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. 
You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we are here today as a unified body of Christ. That at this moment, we recognize the significance of your word and the proclamation of it. God, would you help us to listen today? Not just to hear words, but to listen to your spirit. To hear what you have for us. Spirit of God, would you speak? Would you clear distractions from this room? Would you open our eyes to see areas where we can grow today, where we can be encouraged or challenged? But we know that you know each one of us. You know each one of our stories. You know each one of the needs in our life. You know our journey to this point and the journey you have in front of us. God, would you, le- <coughs> excuse me, would you leverage this moment, Lord, to minister to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you can see, he's going to lay out for us some gifts. Some things that he has for the church. But I want you to notice here. Really, as he's going to make this turn, beginning in verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts. As we have been in this journey, we know that oftentimes he will make this transition from one topic to another by using that word now. Now spiritual gifts. So it's going to turn our attention, as Paul is turning the church at Corinth, their attention to the reality of these gifts. Today, as we look at this passage, our takeaway is simply this. The Spirit gives diverse gifts for the good of the unified church. The Spirit gives diverse gifts for the good of the unified church. If you remember last week, we talked about the Lord's Supper and how he rebuked them because of how they were practicing the Lord's Supper in a way that didn't align with the nature of the Lord's Supper itself, right? The self-giving nature of Christ that is commemorated in the taking of the Lord's Supper. And he said, you are living not in a self-giving way, but a self-serving way. And it was a call for the church to be the church and to be unified. So he's continuing with this theme of unity in the body of Christ, but in that unity is going to show here there are these diverse gifts that have been given. The first thing I want to see in these first couple of verses is this, is that the Spirit is the source of truth. So we're going to see the Spirit is the giver of these gifts, but but Paul here is laying this foundation initially is that the Spirit is the source of of truth. When Paul says here uh, in verse 1, I do not want you to be unaware, we're seeing the motive of Paul's writing. When we look at the New Testament and Paul's writings, at times we see him being corrective. You, and we've seen it in this book. You're living this way, but I'm telling you, you need to live this way, right? There's times where he's providing clarity. I would even say today is a moment where he's providing clarity, right? I don't want you to be unaware. He's wanting them to make sure they have all the information to be able to live in accordance with God's design and God's will for who they are and who the church is to be. Right Now, as a little background here, the underlying issue, 
that Paul is dealing with here. Yes, we're going to talk about these diverse gifts. But there's an underlying issue that Paul is having to address. And that is in this setting in the church of Corinth at this time was the misuse of the gift of tongues. Now, for some of you, you just popped up and said, this ought to be fun. And listen, we're going to deal with it a little bit today, not in depth, maybe as in depth as some of you would like, because we've got a couple chapters to deal with it, all right? But he's going to speak here about this gift of tongues, all right? So let me, let me briefly explain what I'm talking about when we talk about tongues here. In Acts chapter 2, we go back to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. This is when the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised, uh, he said, one, it will come after me, right? The Holy Spirit descends and the apostles begin to speak of the magnificent acts of God. And it tells us that it was understood by all that were there of all, and all these people of different nationalities uh, and languages. And it tells us that they all understood what the apostles were saying. They understood it in their own language. In Acts chapter 11, another important passage is we see the growth of the New Testament church. We see the, the salvation of Cornelius and those in his household. The thing that was significant about Cornelius is that he was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. And so we see that this gospel was a gospel for the whole world. And it tells us there, Peter reflects there, Luke is writing as Peter's reflecting and saying that even Cornelius, that he received the same gift that was given uh, there at the day of Pentecost. But the issue that was taking place in the church at Corinth is that there were those in the gift that were believing that this gift, that it was the greatest gift. And that if you were one who would speak in tongues, you were one of the elite. And so what happened is you had all these people who began to try to speak in tongues. And the scriptures, we're going to see in the chapters ahead, that Paul calls for there to be an interpreter of these tongues. But what happens is because people want to be a part of this in elite crew, they begin speaking in tongues. And there's no one that is there to interpret what is being said. In fact, in Chapter 14, Paul is going to say that if there's not an interpreter, the person should remain silent. So all these people are trying to practice this gift. They're wanting to, to be envied by others. Maybe they're wanting to do it to feel valued because they have this gift and others don't. We don't know the motive, but it's in that context that Paul here is going to address not just the gift of tongues, but other giftings, but he's going to begin with this foundation that, that understand the Spirit is the source of these gifts and is the source of truth. Look at me in verse 2. This is how we know that he's addressing a certain issue here. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Now here we see, I think, a little bit of the sarcasm, maybe the creativity of Paul in which he's writing. You see, the problem is, is that this speaking in tongues in some way mimicked what was happening in the temples of these false gods in Corinth. People would go in, pagan people would go into these temples of false gods and they would go into almost trances and they would just mumble unintelligible utterances. And so Paul, in recognizing what they came out of and recognizing what it is that they're trying to embrace here to be a part of this elite group, he takes them back to their days before Christ. Right? He says, when you were pagans, what did you do? You were enticed and led astray. And look at the word that he uses there. Mute. 
mute idols. Again, we've seen, and when he's dealing with food sacrificed to idols, that he said, listen, these idols are nothing. And so here he's using some creativity to say, you practice these, <coughs> excuse me, you practice these trances, these unintelligible utterances, and you were doing it to an idol who can't speak. Almost in a sense of how ridiculous it was. And so what Paul knows is that their pagan background made them susceptible to being misled by these supernatural manifestations that were happening in the New Testament church at that time. So in verse 3, he says, therefore, say therefore. That's an important word when you study the Bible. You should raise your attention. Okay, in light of this issue, and Paul pointing back to their days before Christ, therefore, Paul's going to give us a moment of clarity here, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What Paul is doing here is drawing a fine line between the days of their pagan past of these trances and unintelligible utterances and the supernatural act that was happening in the New Testament through an interpreter. And so he's saying here, listen, you don't just bring the things of old into the church and assume that they are spiritual or of God because they were spiritual in the past. And he's making it clear here that these grace gifts, whether it's tongues, whether it is um, wisdom or uh, distinguishing between the spirits, whatever it is, these grace gifts will always produce in us, that God produces in us, will always glorify Jesus. That statement that Jesus is Lord. This was the common confession of the New Testament early church. Jesus is Lord. This was a reference to what the Romans would say about Caesar, that Caesar is Lord. But for those who are in Christ, they knew, even as I prayed earlier, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is above all emperors, all authorities, right? And so for them to make a claim that Jesus is Lord was significant. And so Paul's being clear here that the Spirit is the source of truth. He is the source of these gifts. It helps us to understand that the gifts that God gives us will never, uh, should never be leveraged to fall outside of the bounds uh, of the historic faith that Scripture tells us was once and all delivered to the saints. These gifts have been given to us from the Spirit as the source of truth, and they have been given to amplify the confession that Jesus is Lord. Second thing I want you to see here today is this, is that the Lord provides both divine <coughs> unity and diversity. Look at me down at verse 8. We're going to skip over a little bit, but we'll come back to it. Don't worry. All right. Verse 8. Let's look at the diversity that God gives here. He says, to the one, a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. To another, performing miracles. We see here prophecy, distinguishing between the spirits, different kinds of tongues, and another, interpretation of tongues. What we see here is the, a list of some of these gifts of the spirit. Now understand, it's a diverse gift, I mean a diverse list, but it's not an exhaustive list. Nowhere do we believe that Paul gives us an exhaustive list of these gifts that God gives to his people. But we do see portions throughout Scripture. So uh, in, uh, we see here in verse 8 through 10, uh, in Romans chapter 12, you're taking notes, Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. And in all these lists, none of them agree completely. And so the idea is there is that I think there are other indifferent gifts are conceivable. 
One commentator says this, we have no grounds for believing that Paul himself thought that he knew or could possibly know the complete range of the possible gifts that God gives to his people. Let's look at some of these. The first one, the message of wisdom. Just quickly here. Supernatural gifting to apply knowledge in certain situations. The message of knowledge, the gift of the message of knowledge. Some people have suggested that this is academic knowledge, the ability to not just to retain information, to recall information, but also could apply to the ability to apply the knowledge of scriptures into everyday life. Now, I think it's interesting that if you look at Paul's other list of spiritual gifts, uh, he mentions teaching in every single one of them except this one. So it leads some commentators to believe that Paul has simply taken that idea of teaching and broken it down into this message of wisdom and this message of knowledge. The next one here is this gift of faith. Now, let me be clear, this is distinct from saving faith that every believer is called to respond to in response to the sin in our life that separates us from this holy God that we've been singing to today. That sin separates us and there has to be a punishment for that sin as God being a just God, but God in his love for you and love for humanity sent his own son to come live a sinless life who died on the cross to bear the sin that you and I deserve the punishment for. He bore it in himself, was buried, and rose again, just as we've sung about today. right? And there is a faith that is called for every person to respond, to trust in the finished work of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sin. But that's not what this gift is. This gift here is the ability for the person who in the midst of the valley, the darkest valley, can keep trusting God. They're the person when no hope seems to be found, they have that quiet resolve that God is not finished. They're the one that in the midst of the prayer group, when people are beginning to labor in a certain prayer request that they've been praying time after time after time after again, they're the one whose voice remains strong that says, no, keep praying, keep trusting. God hears us. They have that strong ability to keep faith even when times are hard or unsure. I shared this with you years ago and actually preaching through this passage. Years ago, uh, my grandfather had passed away, and I found a tribute that one of my other relatives had written about my grandfather. And they said that my grandfather, this is absolutely true, that he was a man, listen to this, he was a man of irrational optimism. Do you know people like that in your life? They just always happen to believe the best is going to work out, even in the absolute worst of circumstances. One of the examples they gave was uh, my grandfather loved to fish, and uh, Whenever we would have a day to go fishing and it would rain, the, 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 you know, the thought would be, oh man, we don't get to go today. But my grandfather and his irrational optimism would say, man, it's a great day to go fishing. Really? Well, yeah, when the rain, it hits the ground and it washes all the bugs, all the insects, all the worms into the water. And so the fish are always more active when it rains. And so here I am as a young kid like, yes, yes. How lucky that the day we picked to fish just happened to be a day it rained, you know? And now I'm older, I'm like, Grandpa, you dog, right? Like, but it was irrational optimism. But here's the thing. For the person that has this gift of faith, they don't have irrational optimism. They have, listen to this, rational optimism. They have that ability when everyone else wants to stop praying, to say, let's keep praying. Why? Because they know God is still on his throne. And God still hears the cries of his people. 
Right? They have the rational optimism to know that, listen, when I'm in the valley and it feels dark, either because of grief or because of a job loss or whatever, they have the ability to remain optimistic. I'm not saying that they're happy-go-lucky, and I'm not saying that you don't walk through moments of struggle and, and, and wrestling, but, but there's that ability to continue to walk by faith and to trust God every step of the way. And for many people, including me, what can be a good descriptor in my life is that, unfortunately, oftentimes I can live with irrational pessimism. Why is it irrational? Because I forget who my God is. And I forget that he's walking with me every step of the way. Let's talk about some of these other gifts, healings and miracles. The gift of healing almost certainly, I believe, referred to a gift uh, of, of healing those from suffered from sickness and disease, infirmities such as blind, lame, or the deaf, just as Christ did in his time here on earth. The gift of prophecy. This is the communicating uh, of revelation spontaneously received from God. Now, some would see this as simply uh, the act of preaching. Um, I would lean towards it being what we see in the Old Testament of a direct revelation that has been given from God that is then uttered to the congregation. It is of the same vein that we see in the Old Testament of the prophet saying, Thus saith the Lord. Distinguishing of spirits. This is the ability to discern between what is true and what is false. And then we see here tongues and interpretation of tongues. Again, we're going to dive more into this into the days, weeks ahead. But Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I think in 29 and 30, that not everyone has the gift of tongues. So there are brothers and sisters in Christ, and hear me, I use that phrase importantly. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. They are believers, but they understand this differently. But I think when we look at Scripture, I think what we see here is that the idea of speaking in tongues as a visible sign of your salvation and what some would call as a second filling of the Spirit doesn't line up with Paul's clear teaching here at the end of chapter 12. Now, again, this is not an exhaustive list. I think there are other gifts that we see, like leadership and hospitality and mercy and many more. And as I said earlier, I think there are gifts that are not even um, mentioned in Scripture that are given by the Spirit. And in the complexity and diversity of all these different gifts, what we see here is there is a unifier behind all of it and a unifier uh, or a unity in the purpose of it. Look at me in verse 4 through 7. We're going to jump back up because I want you to see not just the diversity of the gifts. Oftentimes that's what we go to because our natural thing is, well, what gifts do I have? Right? Which ones uh, are a part of my life? And we can jump to the significance of the diversity of the gifts, but we overlook the unity behind the gifts. Verse 4 through 7. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. If you're, uh, if you're one that circles in your Bible, I want you to circle the word same that you see in those three verses. Three times that he's going to use it. First thing I want you to see when we think about unity in this passage is the unity of the Godhead. He's going to say same spirit in verse 4. Verse 5, he's going to say same Lord. Verse 6, he's going to say same God. When we look at the Bible, we understand the nature of God to be one God who is distinct in three different persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. The word that is often used to describe the nature of God is that of Trinity. And if you asked me today, said, Michael, can you fully explain the Trinity to me? I would disappoint you and say, nope, I can't. Because it's complex and it's hard to understand. But let me tell you this, I have no problem worshiping a God that is bigger than I can fully grasp and understand. 
But we see here that although Paul's not going to use the word trinity, there is no question in Paul's mind as we see the unity of the Godhead, of the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. We see the unity of the Godhead. We see the unity and the outcome of these gifts in two ways. Number one, in verse 7, it tells us a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person. I want you to think about that. We're talking here about gifts, right? Mercy and teaching and hospitality and leadership and distinguishing between spirits, right? We're thinking about gifts, right? Gifts that we receive. But in verse 7, he says these manifestations of the Spirit. It means that when, <coughs> excuse me, when I'm exhibiting my gift, what's happening is the Spirit of God. We know the Spirit is alive, right? But it's in that moment. It's not that he becomes alive through us. It's, it's, it's not that. But, but we see the natural outworkings. We're seeing the functioning, the, the work of the Spirit of God visibly through us when we are exhibiting and using these gifts that God has given us. I love as one commentator says, it is, uh, it is clarified that each gift is this manifestation that is an ability or ministry which the Spirit actualizes within the believer, which reveals the presence of the Spirit of God among his people. So think about that. When, when you recognize that God has gifted you as a believer in Christ, and you leverage that gift, that in doing so, the Spirit of God is actualized in you among God's people. And finally here... We see the unity of purpose. Verse 7, the end of verse 7, right? The manifestation of the Spirit, look at what it says, is given to each person for the common good. It's given for the common good. Here's what that means. This body called First West, we need you using your gift. It means... A part of the body of Christ, we need me using my gift. The person that's sitting next to you on your left, we need that person using their gift. The person on your right, we need that person using their gift. Why? Because it is for the common good. It is for the building up. It is for the edification of the church. That means, and we're going to get to this here in just a second, but if I choose not to use my gift, whether that's through ignorance whether that's through apathy, whatever it is, the motivation that I don't use my gift, it means that our church is not as strong, it is not as vibrant, it is not as effective, it is not as unified as it could possibly be than if all of us were using the gifts that God has given us in the manifestation of the Spirit. Later on, Paul's going to say in chapter 14, verse 12, he says, so also you, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, and they were, right? They wanted the supernatural in them. It, they were thinking about their old days, and they, they, wanted, they wanted to be using these supernatural gifts. He says, listen, if you're zealous for good work, or for, if you're zealous for spiritual gifts, he says this, seek to excel in building up the church. Have you ever considered, as you think about a spiritual evaluation of your life, have you ever considered not just how's my prayer life right now, How's my Bible reading going? How am I doing having gospel conversations with people, with people that don't know Christ? Have you ever, when you think about the evaluation of your spiritual walk, have you ever considered, how am I doing at helping my church excel? 
How am I doing? And, and, and me being a part of this church family, am I one that is helping our family move forward and being a part of advancing the kingdom through our church? Or, or, or am I just a taker? Am I here just to receive? Am I here just as a consumer of what the church can do for me? But the, it was clear here that Paul's understanding is, listen, these gifts have been given. Why? So that we can help. All of us can help to excel in building up to edifying the church. How awesome would it be to say that we excel in building up the church? Well, listen, when we use our gifts willingly and humbly, we're able to see what the Spirit can do in us, and that takes place. The last thing I want you to see today is this, is that the Lord perfectly gives these spiritual gifts. We see it all throughout this passage, but it's this understanding that in these gifts that God gives, we see the unity behind them in the Godhead. We see the unity in their purpose. We see the manifestation of the Spirit when we use them. And at the same time, we see all the diversity of these gifts that God gives. But don't miss out. Because there's ramifications for this reality and understanding this, that the, that the Lord perfectly gives these spiritual gifts. Look at me again in verse 6. He says there are different activities. This is a phrase that he's used in verse 4 and verse 5. Different uh, gifts, different ministries, different activities. Same idea, right? But the same God, and then he uses this word, produces. That God produces each gift in each person. Do you see the individual nature of that? Do you, do you see the... The divine activity that, that God is the one that is producing and that he is producing each gift in each person. That means as a believer in Christ, when you think about the gifts that God will give you to be a part of the common good and building up of the church, that God hasn't just laid out a, a table of all these gifts and just said, oh, that one will do. But there is intentionality behind the gifting of believers and so in verse 6, we see the clarity there of God is producing it, the idea of divine activity for each person. In verse 7, a manifestation of the Spirit is given. The word given there is written in the passive form. It means that these gifts, they truly are gifts. They've been granted by God himself and are, listen to this, they are not the product of human will. They're not. There's a divine source to these gifts. And in fact, this idea in verse 7, this passive idea of these gifts that are given is picked up and is apply, implied all through verse 8 through 10 as he lists out all these different ideas to one that is given, to one that is given, to one that is given. And finally in verse 11, one and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. Students, what's the significance? What's the significance of the fact that God perfectly distributes each gift? It means that there's meaning behind it. It means that when you think about living with purpose in your life, you think about as a believer in Christ, not only is he giving me a divine purpose to be a part of advancing his gospel to the ends of the earth and living out the great commission and making disciples of all nations, but that, that, that not just he has a plan for my life, but that, but that he has gifted me intentionally for what that plan is. 
And if I understand today, from the youngest person in here to the oldest, if I understand today that, listen, God has gifted me. He has given me these gifts. I've not earned them. I've not developed them. I've not produced them. He's given me these gifts. There's three things, three things that are reality, a ramification of that, a result of that. The first one is this. It means there's no room in boasting. There's no room for boasting in the gifts that God has given us. Why? Because we didn't earn them. We didn't produce them. Right? That's his issue with those that are wanting to practice this supernatural gift, and they're wanting to feel like they're a part of the elite. And Paul's saying, listen, it's God who has produced that in you. You don't go around thinking you're part of some spiritual elite. God is the one who has done it. There's no room for boasting on the other end. There's no room for sulking. There's no room for sulking. Because if I'm sulking over the other person's gift, what is that saying to the heart of God who is strategically and intentionally gifted me for what he has for my life. Right? I mean, it's that moment, as I said, when you bring home some gifts for your kids after a trip and you, you give them all the same thing, well, either you don't know how they're going to respond to it, right? But as I said earlier, you get them all different things, and what are you going to do? You're going to somehow realize you thought you got the perfect gift for each one of them, but in fact, you got the wrong gift for all three of them because they all wanted everyone else's, right? And in that sulking, right, What does it communicate to the heart of the Father? Man, we took time out of our trip. We thought about this. And so when I understand that, listen, God is the one who produces these in us, in me. I don't need to sulk because I don't have someone else's gift. Because I understand that God has produced in me this gift that will be a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good of the body of Christ. And he's given me the exact gift that he wants me to have to accomplish the exact purpose he has for my life. The third result of this reality of the Lord giving the specific gift for specific people. Not only is there no room for boasting, no room for sulking, but finally there's no room for wasting. There's no room for wasting. God has given you a gift. If you're a believer in Christ, he has gifted you in a unique way, in unique ways to be a part of edifying his church, growing his church, so that we can be more effective to reach more people, to see more life change happen, to see more people discipled and growing in their faith, to see more families come together, to see more people step out of addiction into freedom, to see more people live in a way that God has called them to. And if we just decide for whatever reason, whether it's, well, I don't have the gift that I want, Maybe today for you, there is that unawareness of, Michael, I didn't even know this is what it, a part of being a believer in Christ. Well, I hope today that you'll begin a journey of what it means to recognize the gifts that God's given you and to begin to live those out. How do we know what those gifts are? Let me just give you real quick. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about in the church? How do you see that, that you're able to be a, a positive influence in the body of Christ? What if people affirmed in your life? What if people seen in your life and said, man, you, you really bring a lot to the table in this area. And for some of these gifts, as we've seen, some of them are big out front gifts. And listen, we need those gifts. But there's a lot of gifts that make this church all that it can be. It will never be up front. But it doesn't mean that it's of any less value or any less purpose. There are different spiritual gift inventories that you can take online. You can go and you can answer some questions and it'll come back with you. And some of you, you've taken those gifts and you're like, well, that's not me, right? But those can be a help. Don't let those things define you. 
But more than trying to discover what your specific gift is, I would invite you to do this. God, what am I passionate about? What have people affirmed in me? And three, and most importantly, what am I doing with it? What am I doing with the gift that God has given me? First Peter chapter four, verse 10, Peter says simply, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Today, I think we've seen that God gives these diverse gifts for the good of the unified church. And my prayer for you today, if you're a believer in Christ, here's my prayer for you today. That you wouldn't waste your gift. You wouldn't get to the end of your life and look back and go, man, there were so many opportunities I had to be making a difference. And I just missed it. Whether it's because I was sulking about I didn't have the gifts that I wanted whether it was apathy, whether it was I got hurt using that gift years ago and so I'm just going to stop because that seems safer or more comfortable, whatever it is. My hope for you is that a believer in Christ, you will understand this incredible opportunity that the God that created you and saved you has given you. He's gifted you for a way that you are a significant part of this family, not just to exist, but to contribute and to bring value to who we are so that we can be that light it is shining on a hill to make a difference in our community and all over the world. And if you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ, here's what I want you to consider. One of the biggest questions that people ask themselves, believer or not, is what am I doing with my life? What am I doing? Right? I mean, I get up, I get ready, I go to work, I come home, I eat dinner, I go to bed. The next morning I wake up. I go eat breakfast, I go to bed, and it's just the same rat race over and over and over. And maybe today you realize, you know what, I've been on this rat race a long time, and I'm just trying to think, what's the point? Well, I hope you understand today that God has created this world, and he has created you with a purpose in mind. A purpose to be a part of his kingdom, and not just to be a part of it, but that he would graciously gift you in a way where you can fulfill a meaningful purpose with your life. But today, I would say, as you consider that, before you begin to ask a question about what is the gift that God has given me that I can use for the church, if you're not a believer in here today, you need to recognize the greatest gift that you've ever been given is what Christ Jesus did for you in his death, burial, and resurrection. And as I said earlier today, the most important thing that we recognize is our sin situation between us and a holy God and the need for that sin to be punished and God in his love for you sending Christ to bear that sin on the cross on your behalf. And today I want to invite you that if you're here and there's never been that moment in your life that before you think about all these other gifts you just would respond to the greatest gift that has ever been given. It was the greatest act of love that has been demonstrated towards you. And today you would receive it by faith. Would you bow your heads with me today? I want to invite you in this moment as we just consider the word of God, as we consider what the spirit of God is speaking to you. Maybe today in this moment, you would just say, Michael, man, when I look at my life, I realize, man, I really don't have a purpose. And today you've seen that you can have it a purpose, not just for this week, not just for this month, 
but a purpose that reaches all the way into eternity. And that this God would would save you from your sin. And in doing so, would wipe away the past, wipe away the shame, wipe away the regret. It would be a new, fresh start. And then in that start, there would come with it this incredible meaning and value and purpose to your life that God would would gift you along the way to be able to fulfill that purpose. And today you're ready to begin that journey and it starts with simply expressing this saving faith, acknowledging before God your sin and turning to him. I wanna invite you right now in this moment, if that's you, if you need Jesus today, right now in the stillness of this moment, the quietness of your heart, just recognize and say to him, God, I, I see the sin in my life and I know that that sin goes against what you desire and what you have planned for my life. Today, God, I repent. That means to turn from that sin. God, I turn towards you today. I place my faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Today, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. Or maybe you're here today and you consider the gift or gifts in your life. Today, the Spirit of God is just whispering in the depths of your soul, It's time to use that gift again. Maybe it's time to begin that journey to really try to discover what that gift is in your life. Maybe for you, it's been a season of boasting or a season of sulking. Maybe it's been a season of wasting. But in the remembrance today that in these diverse gifts that God has directly gifted you with the exact gifts He wants you to have, today the Spirit of God would just fan that flame in your heart say it's time to jump in again. So Lord, today as we consider how you're calling us to respond to this message, we're grateful, Lord, that you know us. You know us so well. And in your desire for our purpose in our life, for the desire for the building up of your bride, the church, that you distribute these grace gifts into our life. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to be leveraging those gifts with great joy, knowing that, Spirit of God, you're working in us and through us and that It's bringing value to your bride. Lord, for those that are here today that need to know you, I pray that you would, today would be the day of salvation for them, to know that they could live a life full of meaning and value and purpose. And it all begins with responding to the greatest gift that they've ever been given. I pray that today would be that day for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope, again, that you were encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.